The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Happy Easter, everyone. Welcome to our online Easter service again, and welcome to our um, preaching moment uh, in this service um, I know this is probably really, really unusual for many of us. Uh, it's probably the first time that most of us, if not all of us, have actually not been in a church over the Easter weekend. Uh, but nevertheless, we thank God that we can still continue to come together and worship and come around God's Word in this time. So before we kind of launch into my message this morning, I want to try something that we normally do every Easter Sunday. It's going to be a little bit weird, but here we go. Christ has risen. I can't hear you, but that's nothing, nothing unusual. Sometimes, I know when we even do this face-to-face, -face, I don't tend to hear a lot of response the first time I do it, so let's give it another go. You're supposed to respond, He is risen indeed. Here we go. Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful statement. It's so great that we're in Daniel 12, as we've found uh, uh, several times in this series, God and His providence put this on our heart uh, for us to be journeying through Daniel 7 to 12 and reflecting on this theme, His kingdom reigns. And what a wonderful, encouraging message for us to be thinking about, particularly in our current situation with COVID-19 and this overarching theme that in spite of present appearances and circumstances, our God is sovereign and He's in control. And there's been so much here that's been of encouragement to us. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome uh, this is our last sermon in this current series, His Kingdom Reigns. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been journeying through Daniel 7 to 12, and we've landed today on Daniel 12. And again, what an incredibly exciting passage for us to be reflecting on, on Resurrection Sunday, because in Daniel 12, we find one of the most explicit statements of the resurrection found anywhere in the Old Testament. And so, again, in God's providence, we're reflecting on this passage on Resurrection Sunday. And so I'm really excited, and I'm really looking forward to bringing God's Word to us this morning. So let me pray, and we'll just jump straight into it. Father, thank You for this incredible chapter. Thank You for the opportunity to worship together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, even in this different format. Uh, we thank You that Your Spirit is still at work in our hearts and in our lives, and that You will do Your good work in us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive um, all that you have to say to us and help me communicate it faithfully, I pray, in Jesus' name. So just uh, some initial thoughts, as we usually do, to set the scene and the context of what we're looking at. Um, so Daniel 12, 1 to 4, really fits in with Daniel 11. It's part of the same vision uh, that, that, that began in, in verse 2 of chapter 11, which is why our reading started at verse 40, just so we can get a, a sense of the context. And then from verse 5 onwards, we move into the second part, which takes us actually back to chapter 10, where we're introduced to these heavenly beings, these messengers that are communicating uh, to Daniel this vision, this revelation, and are communicating to each other as well. And we're taken back to that scene from verses 5 onwards. So as we've seen uh, over and over again in our journey through Daniel 7 to 12, th this, these twin themes keep recurring. And in, in this particular section we're looking at, it's no different. And one, one, one theme is the horror of history. 
and how this horror of history will continue till the end of time. And we see in, in, from verse 36 all the way to 45 that things are going to get really worse, much, much worse. And, and interestingly, this part uh, of chapter 11 is the most debated because people are trying to figure out, is he talking about Antiochus Epiphanes? Some of the language seems to connect back to his reign. But then other commentators, and I think rightly, as they read this, they, they feel that the language is, is too extreme to describe Antiochus Epiphanes' reign. And some of the details here don't really fit the, the actual historical event. So they believe actually that it's pointing to the Antichrist and that Antiochus Epiphanes in these verses is merely a prototype that's pointing ahead and signaling to a much worse ruler that was going to come, that was going to bring greater horror and devastation to the people of God. So that's kind of the context that we're in. And then the, the second theme that keeps recurring that we'll find even in our section today is this idea of hope. Hope in the midst of the horror. Uh, and it, these statements of hope just shine through the darkness and bring illumination and encouragement and faith. Um, they're like glimmers and, and, and shards of light that pierce the darkness. And we will find those statements even in our current uh, chapter today. And so I guess by way of thinking about our own context, we are certainly not living in the last days. Um, things are pretty bad for us. The, you know, people are getting sick. Uh, people we know and love for, love and care for, are dying. People are losing their jobs. People are being shut up in their homes. Uh, our, our culture is so afraid of the growth of family violence and and other kinds of uh, mental challenges uh, that people might experience: depression and loneliness and isolation, a whole bunch of things. And it feels like it's a really, really bad time. But I guess the bad news is that things are going to get much, much worse. And so if you've tuned in and you were hoping to get a real kind of encouraging, uplifting message and my introduction is making you want to maybe switch channels and check out something else, please don't. Hold on, hang in there because what I want to share with you from Daniel 12 will really be encouraging to you. And so as we journey through Daniel 12, I want to kind of anchor our, our journey in these three words, uh, assurance, certainty, and endurance. Um, and we'll see that these three themes come out so strongly and can really speak a word to us in our present circumstance, even though we might not be living in the same period of history and can be a great encouragement to us in our situation and our context. So let's launch into our text. The first word, assurance, in the midst of distress. Now we see here that this heavenly being in verse 1 shows us again the horror that that is to unfold and that's it's one it's this statement actually or one, it's one of the reasons why commentators don't believe that we're talking about Antiochus Epiphanes because it says at the end of verse, verse one that there will be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then so we're, we're talking about the worst period of devastation and distress that humanity has ever seen and no Bible commentator believes that that can be said of Antiochus Epiphanes' reign. Things have just gotten worse. And even as bad as things are now, things are going to get much, much worse. So that's what we're talking about, this period of great distress. But then the writer gives us five things about the identity of the people of God or who we are or what we have as the people of God that even in the midst of the horror of this period of distress can give us great assurance. Now, I'm going to move through these quite quickly because they're all pretty self-explanatory. Um, 
and it's not each individual statement particularly that is so profound, but when you take it collectively and you see that what's true of the people of God then and what will be true of the people of God at the time of the Antichrist is also true of us as the people of God now, and we can take great encouragement and assurance from these promises. So here are the five encouraging statements. Firstly, he says that we are a helped people. It says that at that time, Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise. There are supernatural beings, angelic beings that are acting on our behalf. Now I know to our Western rational mind, this whole talk of angels can be kind of really out there, weird stuff. Nevertheless, the Bible reminds us time and time again of these supernatural beings that act on behalf of God's people. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that even in the New Testament, uh, that God's people are not on their own. That They are protected and helped by these supernatural beings. And in the New Testament, we, we find references in Matthew 18.10, where Jesus talks about um, children and how angels, the ch- children have guardian angels that beseech the Father on their behalf. In Matthew 26, Jesus is talking about His own um, protection, as it were. And He says, you know, my Father has a legion of angels and they can come to my rescue if that's how uh, I, I wanted to proceed. And this is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was about to get arrested. And then the reference in Luke 22, verse 43, is when Jesus is praying and He's so distressed, we see an angel coming and ministering to Him. And then in Hebrews 1, we're told that angels are God's messengers or God's servants or His agents that minister to God's people. What an incredible encouragement to know that we are, we are a helped people and we might not always see it or we might not be aware of it and maybe only heaven will reveal to us how much God has helped us through these supernatural agents. The second encouraging statement is that we're a known people. And we looked at this last week a little bit um, when we looked at Psalm 139. But again, here we're told that our names are written in the book of God, in the book of heaven or the roll call of heaven. Uh, Our names are written. We are known. We are known people. And again, we see this idea of this book that God has in heaven, even in the New Testament. In, In Luke chapter 10, when the disciples tell Jesus of the success of their ministry, Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. And then in Revelation 20, again, we see this picture of those whose names were written in the book are the ones who are welcomed into enjoy eternal life. God has a book and your name, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, is written in that book. You are known. What an encouragement that is to us right now. The third thing he tells us, which is particularly relevant for us today on Resurrection Sunday, is that we are a victorious people. He says that multitudes, in verse 2, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, what he's saying is that in spite of the worst that this world, every evil ruler and empire, Antichrist, Satan himself can throw at the people of God, death will not have the last word. We are a triumphant people. We are a victorious people. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus is the first fruits of all those who will follow after Him. Jesus has assured us that if we put our trust and faith in Him, we too will share 
in the promise of resurrection. And so we will be a victorious people. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds us that death is the last enemy to be defeated. And that in the twinkling of an eye, that in that moment, we will be transformed and our bodies will put on imperishability. And that nothing, that the worst that evil can do, which is probably to take our life, even that will not ultimately prevail because we are a victorious people. The fourth thing he tells us is that we are an encouraged people. And we see this in, in, in verse 3. He says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, one of the wonderful things about being the church is that we don't have to do this alone. God has placed us in community. And I know right now we're scattered and we're not able to meet together, which makes doing community really difficult and challenging. Yes, but we're just so thankful for technology that allows us to still stay connected, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. And we're told here that that's one of the graces God gives us, that He's given us wise ones who will lead many to righteousness. And we're thankful for the encouragement, the prayers, the support, uh, the stirring up of one another to help us continue to remain faithful to God, even in our present situation of dealing with COVID-19. We're an encouraged people. We're a people in community. Let's keep doing that and building each other up because that's what we're meant to do for one another. The last encouraging statement is that we are a resourced people. And I love this. He says, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. We're a people that are not left in the dark. God has given us His Word to enlighten us, to give us discernment, to understand the times, to understand our culture, to understand the world we're living in and what's happening in our world. So we are a resource people because we've, we've been given the Word. We've been given Daniel's prophecy to help us make sense of our lives. But even more than that, when we come to the New Testament in John 14 and 15, interestingly, also within the context of persecution, Jesus reminds us of the, the promise of the coming one who has now come, the Holy Spirit, who will remind us of Jesus' teachings, who will strengthen us, who will encourage us. And in 16.1, Jesus makes this incredible statement at the end of 15. Uh, he's talking about persecution and, and, and growing trouble in the world. And then he reminds us that the Holy Spirit will be the one that will enable us to stand firm. God has not left us to flounder, to be overwhelmed by distress, but He has given us the resources we need, this assurance that we can stand firm because He is for us and He is with us. What a wonderful promise. The second word we're going to explore is this idea of certainty. And again, it comes in the midst of incredible horror. We're told at the end of verse 7, when the, when the power of the holy people is broken, um, that this is when we're talking about, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. We're talking about a very, very bleak time. We're talking about a time when it's not going to look like there is any hope at all. It's going to look like darkness has won and evil has triumphed and the church is completely obliterated. Uh, one writer says this, Stuart Oliott, he says, we will come to the point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. It will seem as if the church has been entirely obliterated, for there will no longer be any sign of it. 
Certainly there is no expectation here of the gradual Christianization of the world. The prerequisite for the end is not the final fixing of our world's brokenness. Listen to this. Rather, it's the final breaking of the holy people's strength. We're talking about a time of great bleakness, of hopelessness. And into that environment, this man in linen speaks these two profound certainties. Listen to what he says. Firstly, that the time of the Antichrist will be restricted. Again, we come across this statement that we've seen in chapter 7 of a time, times, and a half time. Now, lots of interpreters have tried to figure out what this means, and it's really hard to figure out. But the bottom line is, it says that it's a defined time. It's a definite time. It's a restricted time. And we can take great encouragement that even this greatest evil ruler that will rise up in insolence and arrogance and oppress the people of God to the point of almost making the church extinct, his reign won't go forever. His reign is not indefinite. His reign is already predetermined and fixed. And we see in Matthew 24, when Jesus is actually referring to this part of Daniel, Jesus says this, For then there will be great distress, same word, unequal from the beginning of the world as we've seen until now and never to be equaled again. Listen to this. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. What a wonderful, encouraging, securing promise in the face of horror to come. In the face of our own horror, I want to say to you in the midst of COVID-19, this too shall pass. This won't be forever. This scenario of sickness, of death, of complete uncertainty of the future, of our jobs being uh, threatened and our finances being challenged and being in isolation and separation and all of that will pass. It won't be forever. And again, the second thing, is so, so encouraging. We're told that God's purpose will be completed. At the end of this statement, it says, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all things will be completed. Not even the greatest evil that the world has ever known and ever seen will be able to thwart the purposes of God. We can be secure of that. We can be secure of that. And I love the fact that the Bible is real. Uh, in verse 6, one of the people hearing all this stuff and, and hearing about the vision of the horror of things to come asks the question that we're probably asking. Verse 6, how long, Lord? How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? You know, when people go through hard times, one of the first questions they ask is why? Why me, Lord? And maybe you're asking that about the things that you're going through, your plans that are changed your family that's going through hardship. Why, Lord? Why us? Why me? Why now? The second question that gets asked often is, how long, Lord? How long must we deal with this and put up with this? And the Psalms are full of references to this same question, how long, Lord? But one of the awesome things from this passage is we we have an answer. Even though it's not an exact time, we can know for sure two things. One, that it won't be forever. And two, that God's end and God's purpose will be completed. And we see that in Revelation chapter 19. See, Daniel doesn't have the benefit of having the book of Revelation like we do, but we have this incredible book that tells us about the end of the Antichrist, that tells us explicitly about the destruction of the beast. And we see that 
in, in this passage, then I saw the beast, the fourth beast of Daniel 7, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. That's Jesus. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had, dis- who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. God will complete his work and we can be secure of that and if you're thinking well how can we be so sure how can we be so sure of these certainties well again the man in linen gives us two things two other securities two other certainties that makes these first two things absolutely certain and one is this idea of a promise and we see him raise both his hands something that's very rare in the bible usually in the the bible when you want to make a solemn oath or a promise you raise one hand But here we see the man in linen raising both hands and swearing by the God who lives forever. And so we can be sure that the Antichrist's time will be limited. We can be sure that God will complete His work because it's based on a promise. And when we go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, we see that the promise that God made, that Jesus would come and ultimately defeat the power that actually stands behind the Antichrist. And what joy we have as we reflect on Easter to know that our God keeps His promise. And in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10, we're reminded that our God can't lie. He's a faithful God. And in, in Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And again, Hebrews 10 is written in the context of persecution. And he says, for he who promised is faithful. That's what gives us the certainty. Not only is our God a faithful promise-making and promise-keeping God, but He's also a God who hears the cries of His people. And we see throughout from the children of Israel in Egypt all the way through the Bible that God's heart is moved with compassion, that God's heart responds to the cries of His people, and He will act and He will move because that is what He has promised to do. The second certainty we have is the gospel. Is the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to see how this big boss of human history, this this ultimate evil ruler and king, how easily and quickly and unceremonially he is dispatched from the pages of human history. Verse 45 of chapter 11 says this, Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. That's it. We're told so much about how he will conquer fortresses, so much about all these terrible, horrible things that he's going to do. And then in six Hebrew words... He's no more. He's no more. But how can we be so sure that God will dispatch of the Antichrist this way? Well, it's the gospel. Because at the cross, as we celebrate Easter, on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday, we see God stepping into our world in response to our desperate cry for help. Actually, we weren't even reaching out to Him, but God, seeing our human plight, stepped in out of love to rescue and redeem and save us. And at the cross, deals with the power that stands behind Antichrist. He deals with the ultimate evil, Satan himself, and our sin, which is the ultimate thing that separates us from God. And what's awesome is that in such few words, these profound statements are made. When Jesus hangs on the cross and gives up his spirit, in three words, it is finished. He signals the end of the power of sin and Satan over our lives. It is finished. Satan's power has been broken. 
I'm reminded of the scene in many movies where these two guys are fighting with each other and, and then one of them just makes one blow with a knife and cuts either under their arm or in their groin where the vital arteries are. Now, that injury might not seem very severe, but it's a fatal blow. And as they continue to fight, they, the person ends up bleeding out. That's really what happened at the cross. When we look at it, we go, it was just one blow, but it was a fatal blow that completely destroyed the power of Satan. And he will ultimately be defeated because it is finished. And just as profoundly in this simple statement, we see the destruction of death, which is the last enemy to be defeated. He has risen. And as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on this Easter Sunday, this is what gives us the assurance. He has risen. It gives us the assurance that Jesus will win. He will be triumphant and we will be victorious because Jesus has conquered death. And we too will join in His victory as we are resurrected from the dead. We have certainty in the midst of incredible hardship, in the midst of really devastating times. We have certainty because Jesus has risen from the dead. So lastly, our word endurance. How should we live in light of all of this? Well, throughout the Bible, we see this idea that God expects us to live now in light of what He has revealed about the future. Um, we see this in 1 Corinthians 15 and in several other places in the Bible where we know about the future. And so then God says, well, this is how we are to live in light of that. Well, this is no different here. And we see this interaction between the man in linen and Daniel because Daniel is really confused in verse 8. He really doesn't know what's going on. I did not understand. And so Daniel says, what's going to be the outcome of all of this stuff? How is the story going to end, as it were? And the reply is, Daniel, that's not for you to worry about. He says, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So in one sense, the man in linen doesn't answer Daniel's question, but in another sense, he goes on to say some things here that gives Daniel a direction and an instruction on how he's supposed to live here and now and how maybe we're supposed to live here and now because we're a lot like Daniel. We're not living in this time of the end. We're living in between. And yet we're supposed to live in light of what the Bible has revealed about the end. And then we're given these three guarantees that will actually motivate us and inspire us to actually live the way we're directed to live. And before the, the man in linen gets to that, he pretty much says, look, Daniel, things are going to continue the way they are at the moment. And so he's engaging with this question, will the people of God make it to the one, three, three, five days? Because persecution is going to get so bad. It's going to be so hard. And we see that these things are going to continue. He says that many will be purified. The division between the godly and the ungodly will continue. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. So the righteous will continue to be persecuted and refined. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness. And then we see that the wicked will continue to not understand and not discern and will be searching for truth but not finding it. And maybe not even searching for truth but just not finding truth. But those who are wise, they will understand. They will have discernment. They will have a clearer understanding of what God's doing in the world. And then we see in verse 11 that there will continue to be pressure to abandon true worship. Daily sac sacrifices will be abolished. That there will continue to be pressure to give up on Yahweh, to give up on Jesus. And there will be continued pressure, the abomination that causes desolation, to, to worship false gods, to worship idols, to, to bow the knee to those who are not God. 
And we see that in the book of Daniel with the, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We see, you know, when he was pressured not to pray. And that, the man in linen says, is going to continue. So the question remains, will the people of God persevere? Will they endure? Will there be anyone left in this environment? And the overwhelming answer of Daniel is yes, that God does preserve a remnant because of what he's given the resources that he has given us the encouragement that god is able to preserve for himself a remnant and that there will be those who make it to the one three three five days and so he says to daniel daniel in light of that go your way in other words continue to do what you're doing continue to serve the king continue to be faithful continue your good work that you're doing and that's a word for us in the midst of this coronavirus what should we do well, we should go our way, verse 13. Go your way till the end. Till the end here is the end of your life, Daniel. Keep being faithful. Keep serving God. Keep honoring God. Keep doing the right thing to honor Jesus. And then he gives us the three guarantees. He says, because when you get to the end of your life, you will just rest. Death is just that. It's not final. You will rest. But beyond that, you will rise because of everything that he's already told us you will rise because of the resurrection of jesus you will rise because your faith in jesus will share you will be able to share in that great promise that god has given us and then more than that he says you will receive you will receive the inheritance the allotted inheritance prepared for you what incredible guarantees that we have that can encourage us to continue to live for God and be faithful in this moment, in our history, in the face of all of the challenges and hardships that we're facing, to go our way, to continue to work, to continue to study, to continue to work hard, to continue to love our neighbor, to continue to honor God and gather together in worship, to continue to doing all those things until the end of our life, because we know that even death will not be the end for the people of God, that we will rise and that we will receive the promised inheritance that Peter says is kept securely in heaven for us, that Jesus in John 14 says that I've gone to prepare for you and I will come again to receive you. What a wonderful guarantee, what a wonderful promise that we can hold on to even in the midst of our crisis right now. So why don't you join me as we just take a moment to reflect on these truths and just be encouraged by the assurance that we have by the certainties that we have and the blessing that we are given for enduring, that we too, like Daniel and all of the people of God, can be part of the 1335 people, the, the remnant of God who remains steadfast and who remain faithful, like the ones in Hebrews 11 that looked ahead to the promises of God and remained faithful to God in the midst of their persecution and their oppression and their difficulty and were the ones standing faithful to God till the end. Why don't you bow your heads and why don't you pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful that you've not left us to figure all of this out on our own. Lord, you've given us each other. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us the assurance of victory. Lord, you've given us even angelic support to steady our hearts in the midst of crises. You've given us these incredible, secure promises based on your faithfulness to keep your word that, Lord, you will limit the time of evil. 
and ultimate evil under the Antichrist. And Lord, that you will prevail, that you will bring to completion the work that you've started. And Lord, the gospel, the, the Easter weekend reminds us that it is finished and he has risen. And because of those truths, Lord, that there is nothing, as Romans 8 reminds us, nothing, not even the ravages of the Antichrist, not even Satan himself, in spite of all that he throws at us, no, no COVID-19, no job loss, no death, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much for this assurance and we pray, Father, that in the weeks ahead, in all our uncertainty and all that we don't know, that you would minister your peace and your strength and your assurance to us, that we would encourage one another, that your word would encourage us, that we would walk in the power and strength of your Holy Spirit, that we might be one, three, three, five people that we might be those who stand firm, that endure and receive your blessing. Lord, will you give us your grace every day? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.